Well, good morning, Orangewood. Would you continue standing with me as we read from the Word of God and then pray together? Hear the Word of God. Our text today is Matthew 5, 1 through 12, uh, the Beatitudes. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up to the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our focus for today, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our risen Messiah, Lord Jesus Christ, what a privilege it is to come into your presence today and to, and to hear your word and to ask now that you would help us understand these words of Scripture as you intended for them to be understood. We pray that your Spirit would be the teacher and that you would help us to grasp these truths that we might glorify you and be even more effective inviting all of our friends and even our enemies into the life-changing story of Jesus. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For we have come to see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what a privilege it is, Orangewood, to be with you today and to uh, bring to you a message from God's holy word, and to continue in the series that we are in. And the name of that series is Blessed, or Blessed, Blessed, as we have been looking at uh, the Beatitudes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a privilege it has been to study through this with you, and our, our senior pastor has been teaching us uh, about Jesus in a powerful way, and he's been teaching us about Jesus in particular, that Jesus is the greatest and only Savior to ever live. He's also been teaching us that Jesus is the greatest teacher and philosopher who ever lived. I mean, you can't out-teach Jesus. You can't out-think Jesus. Many people have tried, and they've been miserable failures. And so uh, we've been learning as we look at these Beatitudes that if we listen to what Jesus says, we will be the happiest people on the planet. Uh, that, that really when you think about the Beatitudes and the entry way that the Beatitudes introduce the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of our Lord and Savior Jesus, if you, if you think about the reality of what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's Jesus' kingdom manifesto. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's Jesus saying, these are my objectives. This is what I, I want to accomplish. If you come to me, 
If you come to me in faith and humility, I will radically transform your life. Come to me in faith. Trust in me for salvation, not in your works. Trust in me, and, and I will rebuild you into the way that you were originally intended to live. And that is a happy life. I mean, we all want to be happy, don't we? Did any of you wake up this morning and say, today's a great day to be sad? If you did, we've got counselors that can help you with that. I mean, listen, we all want to be happy. None of us woke up this morning and said, I want to be sad. We want to be happy. And so the focus that we have today is blessed are the peacemaker. Happy are the peacemaker. Let's talk a little bit about happiness just for a minute. I want to put that into perspective and then put the Beatitudes into perspective because we're getting to the very end of this series. You know that, don't we? Blessed is almost over. One, one more message after today. And so it's important that we put it all into perspective. But, but when Jesus says, happy, blessed are the peacemakers, he's using a word that he uses throughout the New Testament that is used throughout the New Testament, Machairos, happy, blessed. Uh, a truly happy person understands what Jesus has to say. And uh, notice when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the, what? Sons of God, you know, ladies, that includes you too, of course. Yeah. Blessed are the children of God who, uh, who are, are peacemakers. I love this idea of being happy. Dennis Prager, uh, the Jewish talk show host, many of you listened to, uh, was asked one time to speak at UCLA in Southern California, and this clergyman asked him to come and speak, and he said, well, I suspect you want me to speak on religion, what? Right? And the pastor said, absolutely not. You talk on religion, nobody will come. He goes, well, what do you want me to talk on? He goes, I want you to talk on a light subject. He goes, like what? He says, well, like happiness. And Prager says, happiness is not a light subject. He had just gone through a divorce. I mean, he was miserable. Uh, and, and, and so he says, listen, listen, happiness is not a light subject. Happiness is a serious problem. And the, and the pastor said, great title, let's use it. So that was the title of the seminar, and then he wrote a book, Happiness is a Serious Problem, and, um, and he really taps in to truth. Now, he's Jewish, he's not born again, he needs Jesus, but, but all truth is God's truth, right? And he's tapped into a lot of truth, uh, and, 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 and he understands that we want to be happy. I'm going to tell you a couple things he says, but we all want to be happy, how many of you woke up this morning happy? Don't raise your hand. How many of you woke up happy? Um, how many of you were happy that you were coming to church? Coming to church at Orangewood always creates happiness in me. I want you to know. If you haven't had enough caffeine, you're not going to be happy. But you come to Orangewood on Sunday morning, you're greeted by great people at the door. Classic coffee, great coffee. I'm, I'm a borderline coffee snob. Great coffee, get another little caffeine. How much caffeine is enough? Just a little bit more. Caffeine is proof that God loves us. Coffee is proof that God's love. And you get a donut, a holy, sanctified donut. The elders have blessed them. They have no calories. It's just a wonderful experience. So you come to Orangewood, you've been greeted, you get caffeine, coffee, you get donuts. It's a wonderful experience, and you're happy. Don't miss it. Come early. Get in here. You don't want to miss the worship. It's dynamite. Some of the best worship in town right here. Um, and then you get to hear the word of God. What a powerful place. This, but, so I'm happy when I come here. But on September 30th, 
when I was helping evacuate my son's house out in Chiliota with water up to here in his house, the house he built, that I watched him build and helped him a little bit build, I wasn't happy. And a few days later, when I was ripping out drywall four feet up the wall, I wasn't happy. There, there are a whole lot of happenings that destroy our happiness that make us say we have got to understand happiness from God's perspective, and Jesus tells us. And so what does Prager say in his book? Well, real quick, well, here are the points. He says happiness is a moral obligation. I agree with that, and I think it's biblical. Happiness is a moral obligation. We owe it to those who are closest to us to be happy, because if you're not a happy person, you make them miserable. You owe it to those closest to you to be happy, blessed, uh, 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 people who act happy act more decently. Karl Marx was not a happy man. Hitler was not a happy man. Stalin was not a happy man. You get my point? Historically, look around at some of the philosophers and those who did the most damage. They were not happy people. They didn't know God, and they didn't understand the biblical definition of happiness. And it's a true, and, and I said this series is getting close to the end. Do a little thinking now. How, how about you? Where are you at? Are you a happy person? Because some Christians, just look at them. They look, they look about as happy as going to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> I mean, there are better evangelists for atheism than for Christianity. And so happiness is a moral obligation. Unhappiness is easy. It's true. It takes work to be happy. He, he says the mind plays a central role. Yeah, but listen to Tyler's sermon from last week, and he'll talk about the heart. You want to be happy, it takes the whole heart transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to be happy. Then he says uh, there's no good definition of happiness. I'm coming back to that. Then he says life is tragic. Often life is tragic, Right? We live in a fallen world. I agree with all those four points, but the fifth point is absolutely wrong. There is a good definition of happiness. We've been getting it in the Beatitudes, haven't we? Happiness, blessedness comes from God based on grace, and it comes in this way as we study the Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me, let me put the Beatitudes into perspective just for a minute. If you let me back up just for a minute and look at all of them with you, I want to throw up a chart for you to see where we've come from and where we're going. Because um, the reality is we're close to the end of this series, and, and we started out with the very first Beatitude, blessed are the, you know this by now, you got it memorized, right? Blessed are the poor in, poor in spirit. By the way, students memorize this. This is fantastic. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit is doing a work in a person's life, God first has to bring us to the end of ourselves. That's becoming poor in spirit. Where you finally wake up and look at God and you say, I can't earn my way in. I can't be good enough long enough. I am poor in spirit. I've got nothing really to offer you, God. And so he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when you're poor in spirit, there is a, a net effect. I'm with those theologians that believe that the Beatitudes build on themselves so that one affects the other, so that when you're poor in spirit, and that's a work of the Spirit in your heart to get you to the end of yourselves, 
When you're poor in spirit and you know you need Jesus and not do it in your own power, then you actually mourn over your sins. Christians don't really like it when they sin. They hate it. I hate it. Um, I hate it when you sin. I hate it worse when I sin. And the great news of the gospel is that you'll be comforted. So, so when you're poor in spirit, then you actually come to the point where you mourn your sin. You can't come to faith in Christ, really, until you see that sin is a horrible thing. It separates you from God, it separates you from others, and it separates you on the inside. It, 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 it destroys you. And so the reality is a poor in spirit leads to mourn for, the, for your own sins, and it makes you meek and humble. Not weak, not geeks, but meek, gentle, more gentle with people. Uh, and, and then when you're more weak, meek, and humble before God, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it true? The more you've been forgiven, the, the more you see the righteousness of God, the more you want his righteousness. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. God gives it to you. And in the process of giving you his righteousness, one of the character traits he builds in you is mercy. He, builds in, he makes us more merciful. Mercy is not one of my spiritual gifts. If you fall down, I'll help you get up. But I don't have a first aid kit with me. But, but the reality is I'm more merciful now than I was 25 years ago. Some don't believe it, it's true. So you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you become more merciful. And when you become more merciful, the combination of all of this leads you to become purer in heart, purer in heart. Your motives are purer in heart, right? Now, when you build, when all these build together uh, in, in, in the Beatitudes, it ends up giving us two important influential roles. We either, we can hopefully both become peacemakers or we can become the persecuted. And as we'll see, actually we become both and you're blessed and happy if you're both. Notice how this builds together in a powerful way. If, if you're if you're built in character, then you can step into the role of becoming a peacemaker, and you probably will become a persecuted person as well. That's next week, so all I get to do is talk about the good stuff, becoming a peacemaker. Happiness is a serious problem, but Jesus says in our focus today that happiness comes when we learn to be peacemakers there it is. Let me give you four truths about peace and peacemaker. You ready? I, I do, I'm violating every principle I taught my students at the seminary. I've got four points here, and I've got three points coming up, okay? So stick with me. You ready? First of all, in terms of peace, I want you to note uh, that Adam's rebellion obliterated peace. Adam's rebellion obliterated peace. Now, you all agree with me on that, don't you? God created all things, and when he looked at all that he created in Genesis, at the end of Genesis 1 and 2, we looked at, he created it, and what did he say about it? He looked at it, and he said, oh, this will do. No, he said, this is, this is not only good, this is very good. What God creates is excellence, and, and Adam undid it. And so the reality is, is that Adam's rebellion, we call it the fall, but it was very intentional, so let's call it what it is. Adam's rebellion 
It's just a historical reality. He obliterated, fragmented, destroyed peace in a major way. God, here's the truth. God created a world where peace was the norm. Adam undid that and created a world where conflict is the norm. And so that's something that we just have to simply accept. If there's blame for the way the world is, it's on humanity and not on God. Immanuel Kant, that great philosopher that I read and only understood some of, said this. The state of peace among men living side by side is not the natural state. The natural state is one of war. This does not always mean open hostilities, but least an unceasing threat of war. The natural state now is conflict. That's the way it is now, after the fall. So the first thing is uh, to understand is that Adam's rebellion obliterated peace. Secondly, understand that we all want peace, right? You all want peace, don't you? You're very quiet. This is not a trick question. You all want personal peace? You all want to get along with other people? Yeah. Would you like to see peace on earth, goodwill among men? Sure. We all want peace. We want it desperately. And yet, as a pastor for, since the time of the Apostle Paul, I've seen that, that a lot of people that I think have peace don't have it. I know a lot of quiet people who I think have peace, but they're not really peaceful. A lot of people who smile a lot, but when you dig deeper, they're not really happy. Uh, some people have dis-ease on their face, dis-ease on their face. Like my son had blue on his face when he went to UF. I mean, on game day, I mean, he was painted blue. Never forget that. And by the way, you know, all college sports is idolatry, as Tyler talked last week. It's idolatry and false religion. There it is. <laughs> Alternate hymns, everything, they've got it there. But some of us, some of us just wear it on our face. You're not a very happy person today, right? Oh, you can tell? Of course. And then I know a lot of people who are very busy and, and they seem upbeat and they're making it happen. And, and, and yet then when you dig a little deeper, you say, how you doing? You're busy. You're successful. Are you happy? No. Uh, and so we all want peace because we were designed originally for peace and a perfect world, right? There it is. And we always try to find ways to get peace and fulfillment. And again, I refer you to the sermon last week about how all of our addictions or our idolatries, attempts to fill ourselves up and to feel good about our life. I love the cartoon a friend sent me recently. The cartoon is of an older lady sitting on her couch, gazing up at her cat, sitting on the top of the couch. And the caption above this older lady says, you are my everything. And the caption above the cat is, you are my can opener. <laughs> We're constantly finding ways to find peace and fulfillment and joy. And they often simply become idols. Thirdly, I want you to know about peace and peacemakers. This is so important that Jesus' call to be a peacemaker is absolutely shocking. 
Can you picture the Sermon on the Mount? All these people gathering, all kinds of people, poor people, rich people, leaders, um, zealots, those who wanted to overthrow the Romans by power, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Jesus was stalked by everybody. And when Jesus lays this out and says, blessed are the peacemakers, everybody is kind of blinking like, you've got to be kidding. It's absolutely shocking. The zealots are, are, are covering up with their robes, hoping their knives don't show. They want to slit the, ro the Roman soldiers' throats. The Pharisees are thinking, Jesus is obviously a heretic here. He is talking about complicity with pagans. Now, the Sadducees, who wanted to get along with the Romans, were probably going, good point, yeah, yeah, peacemakers, let's make peace, because we want power. It was absolutely shocking because the Jew of, of the first century was looking for a Messiah, a Savior that would come and kick out the bad and get only the good in there. Get rid of all the pagans. Kill them, whatever it took. Messiah was a warrior, not a peacemaker. This got their attention. Low predictability, high communication. Jesus is about creating peace and peacemakers. You've got to be kidding Last point here about peace and peacemakers is that peace is a complicated subject. It's mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. The Old Testament word for peace, you all know it. What is it? It is shalom. Shalom. In Israel today, shalom is a, is a greeting and it's, it's a hello and it's a goodbye. Shalom. And it speaks of ultimate internal life. Uh, peace, an absence of pain in any situation. Uh, it, it, I, the New Testament word is irene. If your name is Irene, you mean you're a peaceful person, I hope. But it's a complicated subject, isn't it? Have you ever tried to put to be a peacemaker with somebody and it didn't quite work out like you thought it would? It's a complicated subject. It's like when I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about... a. a a Christian leader in town is going through a divorce. I said, I said, you know him. What's going on? He goes, it's a complicated, it's complicated. Is it? It is. It's a complicated. So we got to look at the ultimate peacemaker. The only way you and I can ever get the idea of what Jesus means is that we will be happy if we are peacemakers is look at the original the original and the ultimate peacemaker, whose name is Jesus. And we know that he went to the cross in order to make that peace real. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace with God comes solely through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. Why? Because he went to the cross and took our curse. If you have never come to faith in Christ yet, we're glad you're here. We love it when you come here, check, kick the tires, figure out what Orangewood's about. But, uh, but we're not about how we work our way to heaven. You can't do that. Because we are, what's the first beatitude? Poor in spirit. We don't have anything to offer God. Jesus has everything to offer. So he came and he lived a perfect life and then he died a perfect death for us. So that, so that it says in Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his 
blood. Peacemaking was costly for Jesus, and it will be costly for us. The text goes on in Ephesians, and it says, He himself is our peace. So when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, gets to the end of themselves, and they bow the knee before the God of the universe, and they receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, uh, they are, are put at peace with God. They're no longer at war with God. Let me say this. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's deeply beloved, redeemed children. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. Even when you sin, is he angry? No, he's put all of his anger on Jesus. And he's ready to give you grace for forgiveness so that we can move into the next step of living for him. And so, uh, as our substitute, Jesus uh, is our peace. My friend Zane is here today. And I love how he, he talks about what the gospel is. Simply this, God loves you, sin separates you, Jesus rescues you. Will, you, will you accept Jesus? Do you want that peace? Now most of us have that peace here today, and if you don't have it, we'd like to, uh, to offer that to all of you. But, if you. but if you already have that peace with God through Jesus Christ, now, now let me get actionable. I gotta land this plane, I don't have much time and they're going to come in and take me off the stage. The elders, the elders do sanctify the donuts, but they control the stage as well, I want you to know. So i got to land this plane, but I want to speak to those of us who are Christ followers right now about what it means to be peacemakers like Jesus, like father, like son, and daughters. We, and the first point is simply this, that to be a true peacemaker demands that we be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Because to be a peacemaker is a divine work, right? And you can't do a divine work without divine power and God himself working through us. So that's the first point. We have to be born again. Secondly, though, that comes right from that is that if you are born again, you are a peacemaker already. And you can be a peacemaker let that sink in. You are a peacemaker, and you can be a peacemaker. And some of you guys, I know some of you, I see looking on some of you guys' faces, you go, you don't know me. I'm to the right of Attila the Hun. I am black and white. I am not really that nice. And when I start getting into situations like this, I get hostile. You don't know me. I can't be a peacemaker. Yes, you can. Because I'm like you. I get that. And God can make the strongest Christian with the strongest personality, what? Poor in spirit, mourn their sins, humble, thirst for righteousness, relational. All of us can move into that role. Some of you are saying, you don't know me, I hate conflict. I don't want it, I hate it. I don't ever want, I, I hate disappointing people. I hate jumping into situations where there's conflict. I never, I don't like to evangelize. I don't like to tell people that they're voting for the wrong party or they're doing the wrong thing or that Christians don't do that. I can't do that. I am so nice, passive, fearful of conflict. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Because peacemaking is not appeasement. Peacemaking is not appeasement. 
And whatever you think about peacemaking, it is not just being nice. Peacemaking is a ministry. Remember I said the second thing that might happen to you if you become a peacemaker, you can also become a target? Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about that next week. Persecuted for the sake of righteousness. If you do peacemaking right, good chance you'll become a target. And so the reality is, is, is peacemaking is possible for all of us no matter what we do because bullies have to be at times face down and truth has to prevail. So thirdly, peacemakers. Peacemakers mean at minimum to be a good news teller. At minimum, to be a peacemaker, at minimum, means that we are gospel tellers. And, and you know, the gospel has great news, doesn't it? But it has some really disturbing news up front. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Good news, right? You're a sinner, you failed miserably, and you're poor in spirit, and you can't earn your way to heaven. How is that perceived by most people? Good news or bad news? To say it is to answer it. And so the, the reality is, is that we, we bring them the good news of faith in Jesus Christ and how Jesus did everything. And all of us, at minimum as peacemakers, have to show people how they can become truly at peace with God and how so many people whose lives are really unhappy is because they have false gods and idols that are killing them. Addictions come in pairs with spares. And they're progressive. They kill us. So we're really doing them a good thing when we tell them that they've got to get beyond themselves and come to Jesus. Who can transform them from the inside out and, and help them to have a happiness that they would believe and so at minimum, we have to be bridge builders as peacemakers for the gospel. And then fourth, and like I said, I'm double numbering. I gave you four points under my second point and four points under my last point. You're going to be thoroughly confused, but you have a lot to talk about at lunch today. I want you to note that peacemaker, being a peacemaker is risky, risky work. And we need more of you to be in it. Jesus needs a fully mobilized family involved in peacemaking. And it really will make us happy if we do it. As I land this, this, this sermon, let me, under, let me help us grasp that when you're a peacemaker with other people, you're helping to bring understanding between people rather than confusing confusion. When you act as a peacemaker with other people, not only are you a gospel teller, but you're risking bringing people together to bring understanding. My friend Gary uh, at Forge, the ministry I serve, uh, goes to another PCA church in town. We agree on everything about Jesus, predestination, everything. We agree on nothing when it comes to the social issues of our day. He comes early and helps sets up at Forge, and he's always looking for an opportunity to interact with me and to set me straight. Like I said, I'm to the right of Attila the Hun. 
I, like I said, I don't know where he is. He's so far left, I, I can see him from where he's at on my side. And I, but he's my brother. And I love him. And we have to move toward understanding each other. Guys, let me say this. Being a peacemaker is a, is a really manly thing to be. And, it, and, and it's working to get understanding with other people. Um, we need to talk about things about which we disagree. Every, every church is divided. You know that, don't you? That in every church, when I just said that, some of you turned me off. You're, to the, you're really that, and you're not listening anymore. I get that. Every church I've seen in Orlando in the last two and a half years is divided on issues, social issues. So we've got to learn to talk to each other. Being a peacemaker means we do not talk with each other like the world talks with We don't cancel each other. We listen to each other. Because our unity is around Jesus and not the political issues of our day. A peacemaker is a time giver because it takes time, right? To listen to both sides. People used to stop by my office. Hey, can I talk to you for five minutes? No, you have no capacity to talk for five minutes. It's 25 minutes at minimum. All right, I'll sacrifice my day for you. Okay, I'm a victim at times, but the reality is it takes time. If you want to be a peacemaker with people, a peacemaker is looking to be biblically objective. <laughs> it's looking for the win-win. Dads, peacemaking is fathering. Moms, peacemake, peacemaking is being a good father, being a good mother. It's parenting. You guys probably don't have any conflicts in your home with your kids. My grandkids now live with us. I am going to a whole new level of sanctification <laughs> with five new people in my home. It's an awesome opportunity to grow. And they are so blessed to be there. <laughs> oh, it's a time for marriages. It's a time for grace, peacemaking, peacemaking, peacemaking. The, the Beatitudes build on themselves. Now we're out of here. But notice how this flows together when you're poor in spirit and you mourn for your sins um, and, you, uh, and you become more meek and you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you become more merciful and more pure in heart. God leads us into a role of ministry of becoming peacemakers with other people. Possible targets. But when you sit down and do your best at being a peacemaker, you will be profoundly happy. When you walk away from that situation, when you say, Father, I tried to bring peace in my marriage, with my kids, with my grandkids, with, with my neighbors, my homeowner association at work, I tried, I did my best, I give it to you. When you do that, if you will listen very closely, you might hear, well done. 
well done, because you talked about me. Because you told them the good news about me. Not that you fixed it, but that you moved into a role that I gave to you. What you started here, I'll continue. You might hear as a peacemaker, well done, a good and faithful servant, well done. You take it to heart.